Welcome back to The Mental Rep, a district podcast where each week we dive into the complex topics of training, nutrition, and recovery in a roundtable discussion with top professionals in the fitness and performance realm. My name is not Jorge Diaz. I'm Daniel Boulay. I'm actually sitting to the left of Scott today because I'm filling in for him for other things. <laughs> anyway, my name is Daniel Boulay. All right, I'm Scott. And I'm Neil. And today we're going to be talking about the complex topic of heart rate variability, the central nervous system, and arousal. The mental rep. <laughs> whoa, before we get whoa, before we get into that, how was everyone's weekend? It's pretty good, pretty, pretty hectic, a little nonstop, but actually kind of finished nice, nice and even keel. Mm -hmm. Went to the city, stood on top of some buildings, walked around Central Park a little bit. Nice. Oh, nice. That was good. Had, had a little I feel like that really fills your place. cup. Like you being in the city. Like, I, I had a full cup. Had a full cup of? Of what? Water. Water. Nice little nice. hydration. Is honey good. bourbon happiness. Yeah, whiskey sour. Okay. It makes me okay. relaxed. Very cool. Very awesome. cool. Nice. I just got off. Uh, well, I'm running currently on like three hours of maybe four hours of sleep. Just came back from California. And I got to say, it was a lot of fun lifting out there. Wait, so you went to lift. You went to go to California just to lift. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, we went out for a little vacation. Eli had a work conference. So I just kind of tagged along. Um, but while she was in conference, I got to check out a few gyms that like, you know, in my childhood, I was just like, I want to lift here. You know, for any of our listeners who are into powerlifting, strength sports, Barbell Brigade was like the mecca of powerlifting and just all of that back in like 2015. So kind of is. And I got to lift there for the first time. And it was pretty sweet. Kind nice. Do you feel like you, um, <laughs> I feel like when we went to, when we were in uh, Texas, we went to game day and then we kind of like took out, like we took a lot of things that they did and we were like, yeah, we should do this at the district. Anything at Barbell Brigade where you're like, wow, I, I kind of want to take what they did and kind of like put put into the district, even though it is a barbell club and we're we're different. Is there anything? Well, I think we're nicer. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Barbell Brigade was actually awesome. I love the way they set everything up. Um, it just you know for their culture for what they do. Um, the flow of the gym. Honestly, I actually liked our flow a little better. Yeah. Like it, it was definitely more of that you know commercial powerlifting kind of setup, but like. At least for like what our purposes are, I'm really happy with how we set the gym up. Mm -hmm. Any takeaways from that gym though? Like anything like, wow, they do this really cool. Good branding. They have branding. great branding and they have great camera angles. I was actually a little surprised. I thought it was going to be bigger. Oh yeah? Yeah. Mm. Again, beautiful gym, but the camera angles, so, top notch. So tell us about your lift. You were looking forward to lifting in this gym. It's pretty well known. I mean, people from all over the country go there. Probably some pretty strong lifters too. You go in there, you're pretty strong yourself but how'd you feel how'd you do i mean i just went in for like more of a casual kind of day but it, i was actually a little surprised like one of uh so i had just a scheduled top set of five on bench um yeah i only recently started benching a little <laughs> bit more consistently wait scheduled top set of five on bench yeah so you didn't hit a single i you know what you'd be proud of me i didn't hit a single out there because i also wasn't confident that i would find a spotter that i liked so 225 <laughs> felt different in the west coast than it did in the east coast you know what i feel like it might've been the arousal, it might've been other things, but I felt like, you know, I only worked up to 275. That was my plan, that was my idea. Um, I meant to hit that at like an eight, eight and a half. It felt like a seven. RPE. 
RP7. Mm-hmm. So I was actually a little surprised with how easy it felt. So you went up. I, I went back down. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I need to get a quick pump before we go back, go out. <laughs> Dang. Okay, okay, okay. Well, you keep throwing around this term arousal. Now, before we have to take the rating of this podcast and scale it up a little bit, why don't you talk about what that means? So arousal is defined as the alertness and awareness of a performer in their given sport. And so what that kind of means is just, Basically, like when we think about arousal, it's not the whole like, what's up, Scott, kind of thing. It's more of the, hey, am I prepared? Is my heart rate up? Is X, Y, Z? Is everything kind of firing so that I'm in that fight or flight? Rest and digest. Which one is it? We're going to talk about it. I like to define that or look at that kind of on a spectrum where you have fight or flight all the way at one side. You have rest or digest all the way at the other. And these different zones or levels are associated with different levels of arousal, different heart rate levels, but those are also levels of hormones that are released in our body and level of excitability, level of like muscle contractions. If you are in a higher fight or flight zone, your muscles will probably be able to contract harder, more aggressively. You will probably be able to jump harder, higher. With that said, sometimes even if you're say a football player, a sprinter, if you are too high towards that fight or flight, that might not be a good thing. That might restrict your freedom of movement. That might lock you into into one one zone that might um, kind of make it harder for you to perform and perform longer there. Then on the other side of things, if you're all the way towards rest or digest, even if you are say a chess player, all the way rest or digest, that might be not ideal for you as well because you're too low you you aren't as aware of what's going on around you so think of it as maybe maybe like i was in central park this weekend and we see horses drawing carriages all the time and they have these blinders on them right next to them because if they are too if they are too aroused if they if they see too, <laughs> too much going on next to them they're not God, that might be a weapon. Line. you said horses uh, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful we save that as a, <laughs> all right um but if if you're in a horse-drawn carriage and that horse sees something right next to it maybe a taxi or hears all these loud sounds it might spook it might jump it might go out of a straight line. So they keep these blinders on them so they just have awareness of what's going on right in front of them. Level of arousal or your zone in the performance and in the um, performance spectrum is more about how, how wide those blinders are. So if you're a football player, you need a little bit more than what's right in front of you. I would say fight or flight is what's right in front of you. You're locked in, you have blinders on and you're doing a high performance activity in that straight line right in front of you. I would say maybe a like boxing MMA match where it doesn't matter about the crowd. You want that that level of awareness. You want to be maybe just under fight or flight so you still have good movement, but you just have one opponent. Football, you need to be aware of everything that's going on on the field. You maybe need to filter out some people in the stands, but you do need to know if somebody's coming in and about to tackle you at the side. If you are maybe that chess athlete, athlete, chess player. Competitor, an athlete. Chess, chess competitor. I mean, if you are aware of too much, then you're not going to be able to focus on what's right in front of you. So again, fight or flight is going to be this higher heart rate, more excitability. You're ready to attack. You're a little more focused on what's right in front of you. Rest or digest is you're you're more calm, cool, collected. You maybe have more clear thoughts. You have a little bit more time. Your heart rate is slower. Your breathing is a little bit slower. So uh, for each athlete in their sport, it's specific to what they what they want or what, what they should be, what level they should be at. 
right? I, I would say it's specific to sport, but also position within that sport and then also the individual athlete. Because yeah. we we were talking about different um I'd imagine you can also traits even. add in like timing of that sport as well. Like where they're at in uh in terms in, of each in level of the season. So mm-hmm. it could be a, a playoff event, it could be a a World Series event versus it could be just a, a regular game. I mean, at the end of the day, you do need to dial into your performance zone, but everyone has its own individual performance zone. So we were talking about different athletes before and different personality types. And people need different levels of motivation to do the same lift. So say say there's three people squatting, one person loves country music, one person is maybe that that zen type athlete where they just need to be like calm focused with their own thoughts and there's other people who literally need to smack themselves, they need to like rush up to that platform, like smack the bar into their back and they need to throw that thing through the roof. They're all doing maybe the same lift but three different people have different performance zones. So I think what's pretty important is knowing where your performance zone is and then being able to recognize where you are in relation to that. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk today about some strategies to once you figure those out, either get yourself down into that performance zone or raise yourself back up to that. So if your athlete is in a game, right, Scott, and uh, say if it's a football athlete or even if it's Frank Schwindel, right? And he's like, Scott, like Schwindel, Schwindel and he is like, Scott, I, I don't know how to like prep for this right now. Um, I need to get pumped up i don't know what to do what are like three things that you would tell them like here do this so usually by the time they make it to the pros they have a pretty good understanding of where their performance state is what i like to have earlier athletes do is take a and this kind of goes back to sports psychology a little bit because everything we're talking about today has to do with sports psychology a little bit but the physiology behind sports psychology Mm -hmm. so a lot of them will take a mental account of several times in their athletic career where they actually performed at their best. So maybe they won some championship. Maybe it was just a time where they scored a goal and they felt really good. I want them to start thinking back to that and start to define it strategically using things like mental imagery where you can actually feel what you felt like in that zone. That type of zone where things just seem effortless, you strike the ball, it seems to fly off your foot the way you need to, you're hitting the ball with your bat, things just seem to time right. It's hard to quantify, but unless you're measuring heart rate every step of the way and you could say, okay, my heart rate was right here, these variables were here, um, that's that's where you kind of figure out where your performance zone is. Now, to recreate that, that's where you see a lot of superstitions in sports. You see people having a really good game and then they wear the same clothes repeatedly until they don't have a good game. They're trying to create as much of a similar environment. <laughs> the, the lucky the lucky jock strap. Lucky jock strap. <laughs> I was gonna say it's like Jorge's knee sleeves. How oh, <laughs> he has not watched that. With that said, there's actually some science behind it where you're just creating familiarity with yourself so that your brain takes in these external stimuli. It, it feels or maybe smells these sweaty whatever, sweaty knee sleeves, and it associates, okay, well, last time I smelled these, I actually performed pretty well. Last time I wore this, I performed pretty well. So (laughs) following that, the brain is weird, but we make associations in our brain, and then because of those associations, our output is now dictated, altered, or controlled. Mm -hmm. So with that, we have all these different um, inputs. Our inputs control our outputs. Now, what are our inputs? Well, I mean, I guess like kind of coming back to what you were talking about earlier with the horses, like it comes back a lot to our senses. So thinking about like what we're what we're seeing, what we're feeling, temperature, um, what's, you know, like even just like 
what we're hearing as well, kind of what we're talking about with like, I fucking hate country music. So like if I was squatting and somebody wants to play country music, I probably would have had a terrible lift while they may be having a great one. Mm. So that's a really good point. We have all these senses that any input to those senses can go pretty much one of two ways. We'll, we'll simplify it. It's either going to raise your level of arousal or raise you into hmm. closer to that fight or flight zone or lower you more to that rest or digest zone. So let's, let's talk vision really quick. Just based on what you see around you, if you go into a gym and maybe maybe the lights are kind of dim, dull, maybe it's it's just like kind of an old old looking place oh, and, and it seems nice. like a little dangerous. Like usually that's probably going to go into your eyes. That signal gets converted into electrical signal, goes to the brain. Your brain interprets that as either unsafe or it will say, this is not a high performance environment. I'm kind of down regulating. So now you have to use some of your other senses to, first off, you probably shouldn't be lifting in that gym. But second, you might have to look at some of your other senses and figure out how you can get back up to that zone. So I'd, I like to also use the analogy of many of us will look at a cuddly dog. I think we said this on a previous episode talking about um, uh, talking about stress, but many of us will look at a dog cut out. And, <laughs> and we will see something cute cuddly will get into that like rest or digest zone will our guard will be down but the same person taking that same visual signal looking at that same dog might see the same thing and maybe they have a previous trauma maybe they got bit by a dog they see that as a threat and they go into a completely different zone so two different outputs controlled by the same input based on your own previous responses i like i like what you said about um the the visual you know, um, using your eyes uh, and just trying to like, I guess having that foresight. So something I like to do with my powerlifting athletes is that before a competition and something that my coach actually told me was every time you, maybe two weeks, you start um, visualizing the gym, visualize where you're gonna be at or the competition, right? And see where you're at in that spot, right? So if you have that USAPL banner, you're on that platform, you're, you're attempting, you're imagining like, I'm going to squat 496 pounds and you have the four or 501, you have the four reds, you visualize, I have this weight, you know what I mean? You kind of like try to feel how it's gonna feel on your back. And then from then on, every time you visualize it, once you get to the platform, it's already done. So I like using that as something for my athletes to kind of, you know, if you, if you visualize it, you're gonna do it. You know what I mean? And if you feel it already before having that foresight of having um, of, of experiencing it or feeling it, then more than likely than not, you're going to hit that attempt. So that's actually really interesting Shout too because that's, that's visual, but that's mental imagery. Mental so imagery, yeah. With, with that said though, all that's happening, these are just sensors my, pointing to my eyes. My eyes are just sensors that are taking in light, converting that to an electrical signal. Then that technically becomes mental imagery that's in my brain and I'm now interpreting that. What you're doing is visualizing something positive, something high performance and using that to influence your heart rate, influence your breath rate, influence which hormones are are secreted in order to get you to that performance zone. So that's, that's used in sports psychology all the time. But again, that's the physiology behind it where it's not about just sitting there and finding your chi it's literally about affecting your physiology by by thinking and using your brain and that's kind of what we really want to touch on that your brain is involved in anything in everything that we do in every performance thing so if you're not addressing that if you're not dialing it to where it should be you're not going to get the outputs that you need so uh to to ask you a question on that so say for example 
for a powerlifter, right? And they're squatting, benching, and deadlifting, right? And they are so excited, or they're so they've been visualizing this moment. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna squat 501 pounds, right? By the time they hit that and they and they do hit it, right? They have bench and deadlift left. So does that mean they they have to soup or like get souped up or psyched up for the next six lifts? You know what I mean? And does that play into performance if they're so psyched up for this one lift, and then after that their body just crashes, or do they mean they have to maintain that throughout the whole? competition. So I, I read one study a while ago that was actually looking at elite Navy SEALs. And it, it, there was this previous conception or misconception that people at that level or high level athletes, Olympians could dial up to a higher level of fight or flight. Now, what that means really, maybe your higher heart rate, higher secretions of, of, of your stress hormones. It's like super um, saiyan. Super saiyan. There was the idea that they could <laughs> get <weed>. there. <laughs> But that that wasn't really the case. What they more saw was they were able to get there when they needed it, but then dive down out of that to more of a dramatic rest or digest in between. Mm -hmm. So they had they had use of that power when they needed it, but they were able to get out of that. So mm -hmm. for for the athlete who's doing that many lifts, I would say you don't want your battery drained the entire time. Otherwise, you're not going to have anything left for your your second and third attempts. You're going to need to dial up. You want that one attempt to be everything you got. But then the second you're out of that, that's where I would actually recommend using some of these other senses to get into more of that rest or digest zone so your battery is as replenished as possible in between. Mm -hmm. So maybe things like nutrition, but you can't control really the visuals of a of a powerlifting meet unless you're really just going to a back room looking at a wall closing your eyes or something like that but a lot of people will use headphones i will probably recommend tuning out the the high aggressive music doing something like lo-fi beats um something like rain sounds something that is more parasympathetic in nature more nature sounds we mm. we tend to respond more to things that are more involved in nature we tend to hear those things see those things and go more towards rest or digest whereas things like like predators and an aggressive animal um those tend to be more associated with with a sympathetic or fight or flight despite what our um responses are did you want to add anything to that dan yeah i guess i just wanted to clarify like when it comes towards the powerlifting meets when what scott's kind of talking about when it comes towards like hey like putting on lo-fi beats something that's going to calm you down a little bit that's probably like in between separate events so not necessarily like you can do that like right after you get off the platform after like your first attempt squat, but then probably start dialing it back up like, you know, two to three minutes out. Um, but it's going to be great to like kind of push ourselves into that parasympathetic, you know, why you see sometimes powerlifters like, you know, you have like an hour, hour and a half in between events, depending on how big the lift or the, the meat is. Mm -hmm. So it may be good to like take a nap and you'll see like some of the bigger heavyweight guys like literally fall asleep in the middle of the platform. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you do for highly aroused athletes, someone who is super anxious? So an anxiety or state anxiety, that's basically your level of arousal is probably too high for where you need it in that performance zone. So we talked about things that maybe get you back up there and maybe some things that get you down. If, if you're too high and above that performance zone, you need to employ some of these strategies that get you down. One of the most effective things that everyone can do is, is a breath. Yeah. Every time we inhale and inhale aggressively, that's a little bit more sympathetic, a little more fight or flight. Every time we focus on the exhale, that's a little more rest or digest. So one of the most effective strategies is trying to get your exhale to be longer, slower, more drawn out than your inhale. Um, a lot of people will do something like in for six, hold for two, out for seven, or sometimes out for as long as 10 seconds. But you do 
two of those in a row and you've already slowed your heart rate a little bit, you change your physiology a little and you're a little more prepared. So even mm. CEOs will do this before they speak to hundreds of people just to get them into that performance zone because maybe they like maybe they're pumped up a little bit, but maybe they're a little bit too pumped up. They need to be able to clearly dictate what they're saying. And if they just do those two long, slow breaths, they seem to have a little more clarity with that. So there's breathing, there's with your other senses, we tend to respond more to things like warmth. I'm just gonna throw some things out there. Not all of them really apply to sports, but uh, when it comes to visuals, again, we we like things that are more panoramic in nature. We like your your ocean views, your your tree or, or, or forest um, views, mountain ranges, things that are more panoramic force us to zoom out and get a little out of what's called central focus. Mm. Things that dial us up are going to be the opposite of that. Something that's right in front of us, city blocks um, or, or something threatening that's, that's very up close, even yeah. something like a phone screen that's sending us into that fight or flight. So honestly, I would probably get away from that phone screen unless there's maybe something on there like you're talking to your mom and you just having that connection with your mom has a mm -hmm. really good parasympathetic response to you. Pictures of puppies. Pictures of puppies, maybe. Um, but then we have other things like like touch. Think about, so that's another sense, what you can touch and feel. We we go to masseuses and get a massage therapist. These are, a lot of times we think of this as they're realigning muscle tissue and, and moving scar tissue and doing these things. A lot of times the amount of pressure that's required to actually get that result is more than what human hands can actually do. And what we're really just feeling is this warmth, touch, which kind of reminds us back to literally development when we're in the womb, when we first meet our moms. That Getting is the swaddled. most relaxed state. Fucking right? love that. <laughs> <laughs> when I get well, swaddled. Yeah, you would be a little spoon. <laughs> oh, I love when Eli's big spoon because it's just like, ah, oh, I'll be my little backpack. As crazy as it sounds, <laughs> that reminds us of, that literally reminds us of fetal position, the most safe position we can be in as a human. And you get to that forward flexion position, koala. you get warmth, you get touch, you you get a little more parasympathetic. Mm -hmm. So all those, all those different senses can either drive you up, lower you down. It's kind of on you to figure out where you are and where you perform at your best. If you notice maybe you're like a little shaky or a little bit jittery, you're probably a little higher than you have to be. If you notice maybe you're a little tired, you're like not as aware, your friend's talking right next to you and you're kind of tuning them out, you probably need to dial up a little bit. So that's where we would do things like louder music, pump up music. But like Dan said before, it's it needs to be the music that you associate with high performance, not music that you hate, because that will also affect you. Okay. So if yeah, we're talking about just feeling where you are in relation to your performance zone, what are some ways that people can actually measure this at, at more of a higher level or really just measure your ability to respond to these stressors? Well, there, I feel like there are a few ways, obviously like RP and stuff like that. But one of the most subjective things that you can use is what's called heart rate variability, or you, it's commonly referred to as HRV. Uh, just like its name, where it's just like, hey, how quickly can you go up and back down and just change your heart rate back and forth when needed? Um, typically, a, a simple rule of thumb, the higher variability you have in relation to where your baseline is, the better it's going to be because that kind of can tell us like, hey, like we can raise our heart rate when needed and then drop back down when needed in the appropriate setting. Um, if you have a lower HRV level, then, you know, it's not as great because it's always saying, hey, we're always going to be at that same baseline no matter what the stimulus is or output or I guess input coming into our body. Um, so what, I, what devices would you use? I mean, there are a few. I think uh, the 
cool thing about like, I guess, smart fitness technology is that there are so many options out there. Um, a lot of smart watches do. I don't know if the newest Apple watch does in might, but I haven't really looked into like what the new one looks like, but you know, few brands like Polar, Garmin, um, whoop, are some of them that you can actually utilize that for. So, I mean, obviously if you just kind of Google HRV, mm -hmm. um, smart technology, or smart wearable technology, you can probably find a good one that works well for you. So just basically measuring your heart rate. Yeah. And how, what's the most similar, basic? Similar, so it's it's it, like we can measure our heart rate and see what our heart rate is right now in beats per minute, but mm -hmm. this is more about how consistent are my beats. So people, uh, people think like, oh, my heart rate is nonstop mm -hmm. like that, but we actually, when we're at rest, we should have a little bit of variance in it. It should be, Maybe not like that exactly, yeah. but, yeah, but you're just trying to, a, yeah. There's a difference. difference in the beat. So what that means is it's kind of like your your heart rate's just ready. It's responding to these little things that you're doing. Me just sitting up, lowering down, shifting to the side. I'm ready for someone to jump out and, and me to say, get attacked and then have to fight that person. Mm -hmm. If I'm very consistent, that's usually an indication that my body's currently still responding to a stressor. And you want to think of that as like, maybe I left the lights on or I left the fridge still open. I'm responding to a stressor, meaning that battery is getting a little bit drained, meaning I don't have as much battery to address whatever's coming next. So what, what I've also seen in the research is there could be a little bit of a delay or lag in the heart rate variability. So a lot of times we'll, we'll see this if somebody's sick, they come in, maybe they feel fully better, but their heart rate variability is still pretty consistent, meaning their variability is low and their performance still shows that. They might come into the gym that day and maybe they're lifting 225 and normally that feels heavy for, or normally that feels like they're just moving it through the roof. That's an easy set for them. They may come in, their heart rate variability may be very consistent, their recovery might be low, that same weight might feel a lot heavier. So it's really just your brain, your body will downregulate its output in order to protect itself while you're still responding to a stressor because it knows it doesn't have a full battery to uh, work with. Say if you have an athlete uh, right now and he's like training uh, and you you trained with him prior, probably the week before, uh, two days before, right? And he, and he hit a heavy squat or a heavy bench, something that's gonna tax the CNS. Um, and he's coming in the next session and he maybe does the same exercise, maybe he does a front squat or a variation of a bench or a deadlift. But he's like, Scott, like, this is just feeling so different right now. I mean, I'm tracking my HRV, it's where it's supposed to be, but how come it's not feeling or I'm not pushing the weight how it should be moving? So that, that's why we do get a couple different variables and HRV isn't the entire story, but we'll have the athletes do the performance log and we're taking in the entire equation where, I mean, you, you can get most information you need by just saying, how are you feeling today? And they'll tell you basically enough for you to auto-regulate that weight and give them the right amount of weight that that allows them to have a high enough training stimulus, allows them to work for that day without them getting injured. Um, with that said, there are other, there's physiological stress, there's neurological stress, and mm -hmm. both of those have to kind of recover. So I, if we're doing the program, we know what they did previously. We know that we might need to have this undulating day where maybe they have a higher intensity one day, lower intensity the next day, so they can still work through, still push through. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes like the, we might think they're coming in and, and they should be a little bit tired, but they may come in and maybe they just emphasize all their recovery systems and they feel good to go and maybe you push them a little bit more. So it is something that's this, this fluid state where you kind of have to adjust to 
<clears throat> what you have to work with when they come in. Um, and if they do come in and some of these systems are lower, that's where you wanna look at some of the other things that are in your control, like the music, like the hydration, like the nutrition, like the other mm -hmm. senses that you can dial up to that performance zone because you may come in and we'll say you're at 70% output. You can dial that up a little bit and maybe get 80% output and then be able to move that weight still safe and effectively. With that said, you might want to address the recovery maybe in between sets a little bit more, maybe assume that their muscles might develop a little bit more protective tension in between, like you do a squat on a low recovery day, they might have a little more tension on the lateral quad, a little more tightness in their hips. You might just want to gun that out or kind of work on that in between to set them up better for the next set. Gotcha. And then a couple other things that people do to, we'll see this at the pro level. Uh, so a lot of people will measure HRV, they'll do the performance logs. Another common one that we see is a vertical jump. So with HRV, everyone's baseline is a little bit different. It's usually a two and a half minute to five minute test. And the more data points you get, the more times you measure that, the more you know where your normal zone is. And then you're seeing where you're at in relation to your individual normal zone. With a vertical jump, you're doing usually three vertical jumps. You have to standardize it, usually throw your hand on your hips. And then a lot of the proteins will do this just because it takes a lot less time than measuring everybody's heart rate variability for for two and a half plus minutes you have them do their three jumps you compare that to their baseline if they come in and they do the same general warm-up and their vertical jump is lower compared to their average you can bet they probably have a little bit less output that day and mm -hmm. all we're talking about is is output your brain's output your physiological output your nervous system output if we know where their current starting output is and we do what we can to dial it up where we need it or as much as we can, we know how hard we can push them in that individual session while still allowing them to recover effectively. Are there are there certain exercises that do help with um, output from the CNS? Like just like if you're going in for um, maybe a heavy deadlift day or a heavy squat day, are there exercises that you can do? Maybe like plyo um, or any like I feel, I feel like you know the snatch. answer to this question because <laughs> <laughs> you're really teeing that one up there. No, I'm just I'm just curious, you know, I don't know. Well, just trying to pick your mind, pick your brain. Even <laughs> thinking back to our, our warm up, the final phase there is really uh, potentiation or we're ramping up, priming the body. We're also priming the nervous system. So you can mm -hmm. do things that either it's usually one of two ways. You're either doing something that really fires the fast twitch muscle fibers. You're doing something that gets either your feet, your, your upper extremities moving pretty quick, or you can do something that loads them a, a little heavier and that's going to dial up the nervous system a little bit. Um, usually, um, Kind of, kind of tailored to that lift. So say they're a deadlift, you might want to have them do a couple broad jumps. Nothing that's fatiguing, but I might have them do, say, a two-inch run in place, maybe a couple quick tuck jumps, something that requires them to go into rapid extension, but also turn the core on. Mm -hmm. um, a, again, you want to take the muscles that you're using for that specific lift, get as many recruited as possible without fatiguing. So yeah, okay. plyometric exercises, something either rapid fire or something a little heavy, which which does happen when we're warming up as well. Cool. Okay, so top five things that you do for or say to your athletes to get them in the right uh, zone, to get them to that flow state for training or for that competition or game, what would you say? So I'd say first thing is you have to know where your performance or flow state is. Mm -hmm. um, and that just comes from experience, that comes from having success and really sitting with that success a little bit and thinking more beyond just, okay, I had a good game. 
thinking about what that felt like and um, looking at the environment around you and trying to remember that feeling so that you can dial into oh, it before. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Coach Dan, so what would you say for maybe a powerlifting athlete? What, what's something you would say to them before a competition two weeks out? Um, visualize. So especially for new powerlifters, like again, seasoned powerlifters who have done a few meets, had uh, some experience under their belt. They kind of know exactly what to expect and similar to like all athletes. But for powerlifters specifically, like just anyone novice, one, a good thing to do is just like maybe go to an actual meet itself so that you can kind of experience, hey, what does the environment feel like? What does this kind of look like? What should I be expecting? Um, mm -hmm. Two, like especially if you're working with a good coach and if you need one, you can go to district-training.com. Um, but a big thing that you can think about is like, hey, like put yourself in a similar environment, have similar music to what gets played at uh, meets, maybe go to a powerlifting gym specifically, or at least like play around with the powerlifting equipment at other gyms so that you can kind of have that sense of, hey, this is what it feels like, this is what it does. And mm -hmm. then in most training cycles, you'll probably find that like a lot of coaches will probably put in, in a longer training cycle, a quote unquote mock meet or mock performance so that you can kind of feel what does everything feel like. Mm. Yeah, I like the, you know, talking about before the sensory cues and just the feeling, right? Feeling how the singlet, your your outfit, you know what I mean? I feel like, or your whatever you're wearing, like the, oh, the jersey you're wearing, right? So for me, it's like before a competition, I, I like to wear the singlet maybe the week of and just feel like how it is to like lift in it you know what i mean get used to that and then get used to what shirt i'm wearing just making sure i have my whole outfit ready and then you know making sure that i also have the right playlist ready before i go to the gym you know what i mean so that i'm ready and dialed in for the meet and i get into that that flow state in the back room it's where i'm hitting my warm-ups and yeah that's that's what really helps me dial in before a, a competition yeah i like what you said there also one thing that i often like do with athletes i like have them track kind of like what are they eating like the week leading into you know their quote-unquote mock meet or even test lifts so that we can kind of get a better baseline of like hey this is what helps fuel your nutrition feels your workouts feel fuels everything else so one create that buy-in because we probably know what they should and should not be eating but sometimes mm -hmm. it's easy to kind of get away from it but then too it's like it also gives us a better baseline of like all right you respond really well to these foods mm. And then also, Scott, what would you say, uh, last one for those highly anxious athletes that are, you know, just wired and they need to like downregulate? Take a look at caffeine intake. Maybe that's not the best thing for you. Maybe look at more of a consistent um, energy source and, and through nutrition, but then try to have some strategies at your disposal that can bring you down into more of a, a performance zone. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be breathing, focus on your long, slow exhales, either six seconds out, 10 seconds out, um, mental imagery of something relaxing or even visuals of something relaxing. Again, the panoramic views, mountainscapes, looking out the window if, if you're just on your computer all the time. Mm. Um, and then from a sports psychology type standpoint, having something like an a performance statement is called where many of us go into say a meet or a competition and we're just flooded with noise and different things that we have to work on. Often athletes will have a simple performance statement that's just maybe a couple words, they'll write it on the inside of their hand or uh, on their glove. And it's just, I, I recommend something that their sports specific coach has said to them that just is one thing that if they focus on that one thing, everything else kind of falls into place. So it just mm. quiets the noise a little bit and brings a sense of familiarity to what you're doing. Having that like self-talk and that confidence. Exactly. All right. Wherever you guys are listening to right now, 
Thank you guys for listening and helping support our endeavors and everything that we're trying to do for the fitness and performance community. Obviously, to help our platform and continue to grow and provide this valuable information for you, don't forget to subscribe because obviously that helps and it makes us look better. Thank you. The mental rep. The mental rep. <laughs> <laughs>